Big Joe's Funeral, written by Walter Dean Myers, read by Marcia Waller. The way I see it, things happen on 145th Street that don't happen anywhere else in the world. I'm not saying that 145th is weird or anything like that, but it's like intense. So when I heard about Big Joe's funeral, it didn't take me by surprise. It was something that I remembered, and that's why I'm telling you. This is the way it went down. The funeral took place on the 4th of July, one of the hottest days of the year. People were sitting out on their fire skates or on their front stoops trying to catch a breeze. If there was a breeze in the hood, it must have stopped somewhere for an iced tea because I didn't see it or feel it. Nobody was doing any unnecessary movements unless their name was Peaches Jones, who was setting out to ruin Big Joe's funeral. Peaches was what you call seriously fine. She was 15, about 5 feet 3, a medium brown color, and definitely wrong. She was wrong because she was not giving Big Joe his propers, which means his proper respect. A person ought to have respect for other people all the time, but especially at two times during their life. The first time is when they're born. When a baby's born, you shouldn't say discouraging things about it, like, hey, I seen prettier dogs than that baby, or maybe he ain't ugly, maybe he just inside out. Give the baby a chance. The other time you need to show some respect is when a person is going on out of this world, you know, like they're dead and whatnot. Let the person go. Whatever will be their reward has got to be figured out on the other side. Even if they slip on out owing you some money, you gotta bite the bullet, give up some slack, and let them be on their way. But Peaches didn't see it that way when it came to Big Joe. She had her mind dead set on messing up Big Joe's funeral. Let me back up here and tell you, it all started when Big Joe, who owns Big Joe's Barbecue and Burger Restaurant, right here on 145th Street, down from the Ease On In Cafe, decided to cancel his life insurance. He said he had been paying on his life insurance for 20 years. If he canceled his insurance, he would get a check from the insurance company for $18,000. Now that is some serious money. Sounded good when the guys in the barbershop were talking about it. So Big Joe canceled his insurance. And sure enough, two weeks later, he was telling everybody that the check came just like he thought it would. That's when he had decided to have the funeral. I say, I've always loved a good funeral, Big Joe said. He was sitting outside his restaurant peeling potatoes to make potato salad. And when I went to Freddie's funeral, y'all remember Freddie? Yeah, 
I remember Freddie and his funeral, Willie Murphy said. He looked real good. That's my point, Big Joe said. He was looking better than I ever seen him. He was clean, had his hair combed, and wore that dark suit with a carnation in his lapel. He was sharp, Willie went on. And when Angela, that little Puerto Rican girl, sang Precious Lord, everybody was crying. Ain't nobody was gonna cry over Freddie when he was alive, Big Joe said. Funerals bring out the best in people. Am I lying or flying? You definitely flying, I said. I hate to talk about the dead, Willie added. But when Freddie was a walkie-talkie, all he wanted to do was hang out on the corner and ask everybody he seen if they had any spare change so he could take it down to the ease on in and get him a beer. Uh-huh. But he still had him a nice funeral, Big Joe said. I'm gonna have me a nice funeral while I'm still alive so I can appreciate it. Now, we didn't exactly know what Big Joe meant by that. But when he started explaining, it made sense. He was going to take part of that $18,000 and throw himself a funeral, the way some people throw a party. Nothing too fancy, he said, just something nice. Now, this is what he did. He went on over to the Unity Funeral Home on Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard and arranged things with them. At first, old man Turner, who ran the place, was a little put out. When he saw where living people having funerals would greatly increase his business, and he said, okay. He was going to supply the coffin, the hearse, which carried the coffin in two limousines. The good part of this is that since I was there, when Big Joe was first talking about his funeral, I was going to get to ride in one of the limousines. Big Joe asked Leroy Brown, who had a little band, to play the music at his funeral. Then he found Angela, that little girl who had sung at Freddie's funeral, and asked her to sing a song. Now you probably wondering what Sadie, Big Joe's girlfriend, thought about all this? <laughs> well, she didn't like it one bit. You don't mess with dying, she said with her hands on her hips. You go laying up in some coffin and death liable to reach out and snatch you right away from here. Woman, you just superstitious, Big Joe said. Ain't nothing to worry about. Sadie was a widow lady. Her husband having been run over by an ambulance while he was on the way across Malcolm X Boulevard to buy a lotto ticket. Maybe her being a widow was what made her touchy, but if she was a little upset, it was nothing compared to what her daughter Peaches felt. When Peaches heard about Big Joe's plans, she was madder than a junkyard dog with sleeves. He's been asking my mama to marry him for the last year, Peachy said. If he's going to be a good husband, what's he doing going around acting stupid? Is she going to marry him, I asked. She doesn't need to marry him or anybody else, Peachy said. Big Joe had promised Sadie he was going to adopt Peaches once they were married. That looked like a good deal to me because Big Joe was really successful and everybody liked him. Not only that, but the brother was handsome too. 
He was tall and dark and had white hair at the temples, which made him distinguished looking. Peaches and her mama argued up one side of Big Joe and down the other, but he didn't change his mind. He was going to have his funeral. Big Joe was popular on 145th Street. If you were a little down on your luck and needed a meal or a pair of shoes or even half the month's rent, you can go to Big Joe and he'd listen to you and more than likely help you out too. So by the day of the funeral, it looked like there was going to be a big turnout. Now besides Sadie and Peaches, there were some sisters from the church who thought the idea was a little peculiar. They made sure that everybody knew it. But even them, some of them showed up because they appreciated a good funeral too. Well, the 4th of July was hot, but the undertaker's parlor was air conditioned. There were only two funerals scheduled for the day. Big Joe's in the afternoon and a funeral for somebody named Calderon later that night. When we came into the funeral parlor, there was Big Joe lying up front of his casket. It spooked me out. Big Joe wasn't moving a muscle and you could see he had on some of that makeup they put on dead people. Sadie was sitting in the front row with her arms folded and her jaws tight. When it was my turn to file past the coffin, I did so real slow. I knew that Big Joe was alive, but I didn't know what I would do if he suddenly sat up. I was glad to sit back down again. The funeral director's wife played some songs on the organ and then Angela sang her heart out. There were real tears running down her face. Then some of Joe's friends stood up and said good things about him. Leroy's band, the all-star stompers played Amazing Grace and One More Rivet Across. And before you knew it, we were deep into the funeral. I looked over at Sadie and she was getting a little misty too. When the inside part of the funeral was over, the undertaker shut the coffin. I watched to see if Big Joe was going to move. The dude didn't even switch. When we got outside, the hearse and the limousine were waiting, and so was Peaches. She and two of her friends, Latoya and Squeezy, had painted these big signs. They read, Big Joe is not dead. Mother Fletcher, who might be the oldest woman on the block, was just passing by and saw them. She went over to them. I went over too because I wanted to know what she was going to say. You're right, child, Mother Fletcher said. The flesh fades, but the spirit lives on to eternal reward. That's not what I mean, Peaches said. I mean, he's really not dead. Suffer the little children. Mother Fletcher said as she started walking away. Glory, hallelujah. Peaches and her crew held up their signs across the street, and the people on the block looked at them and looked at the funeral, and most of them didn't know exactly what was going on. Charles Peterson came over to me and said, Peaches should mind her business. If Big Joe is supposed to be her daddy someday, maybe it is her business, I said. He's not her daddy yet. Chop said. By then they had loaded Big Joe into the hearse and the rest of us got into the limousine and we started up the Jackie Robinson Memorial Park. Jackie Robinson Memorial Park was a playground on one side and on the other side were just benches and a few trees. We were going to pick out a spot in the park and have a ceremony there like it was really a grave. 
I want to hear some dirt falling on the casket, Big Joe had said. Now, to me, <laughs> that was going a little too far. I didn't think I could like, you know, casket, even if it was cracked some so I could breathe. You hear dirt being tossed on it? I was glad it wasn't me in there. I might have split right then, but I knew the last part of the funeral was going to be okay. After the ceremony, we were all supposed to leave feeling good. Leroy's band would play some jazz, and the whole thing was going to turn into a party that would end up in Big Joe's place. When we were pulling away from the funeral parlor, I saw Peaches and her girls taking down their signs. I figured they knew they had lost the fight. We were going over toward Malcolm X, but they were heading in the opposite direction in a big hurry. First, the cars went down to 141st Street, where Big Joe lived. And we went past his house real slow, showing respect to where he had spent his life. Then we turned and went up to 145th and passed the restaurant real slow. Some brothers playing checkers on the corner took their hats off when we went by. Then we went up the hill to the park. When we got there, the undertakers pulled the coffin out and put it on a roller and rolled it right onto the grass. That's when I saw Peaches and her crew again. They waited until we reached the place where Mr. Turner, the undertaker, had set up a little shade tent. Then they turned on the boom box. They were carrying and blasted a song called I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal you, all over the park. Peaches had the boombox right up close, and it was going as loud as she could get it. Latoya was dancing, and people heard all the commotion and started gathering around. They were looking at each other and trying to figure out what was going on. There was this girl dancing to the old-time song, and a funeral going on right in the middle of the park. Two winos drifted over to see what they could see, and a bunch of kids stopped playing and gathered around. Yo, brother, y'all gonna bury somebody right there? I turned around and saw this short dude carrying a hot dog in one hand and a book in the other. He tilted his head down and looked over in his glasses at me. We're not really gonna bury him, I whispered. We're just gonna throw some dirt on him before the party starts. The brother took a giant step back from me and shook his head. You are crazy, right? I just shrugged. Right about then, I thought the whole thing was going to come to a quick close because I saw two cops coming over. What you mean I got to move on? You better get your hands off me. This is what Peaches and Squeeze were saying to the cops. It's against the law to have your boom boxes turned up like that, one cop said, and you should have more respect for a funeral. Now, I could see the cops eyeing us and looking at the coffin, and one of them was talking on his radio. They weren't sure if we were doing, if what we were doing was right, but they knew what to do about the live boom box. So they took the box and Peaches, Latoya, and Squeeze and went after them. Leroy's band broke into Swing low, sweet chariot. Then, they lowered the coffin into the ground and threw a couple of clumps of dirt onto it near the top so Big Joe could hear it. The funeral was officially over.
The Undertaker reached down and knocked on the wood to let Big Joe know. For a while, nothing happened. I held my breath. All eyes were glued to the coffin. Then it popped open and Big Joe sat up. People who didn't know what was going on moved back in a big hurry and one of the winos took off running. Big Joe got out of the coffin and shook everybody's hand. Let the party begin, he said. Leroy's band broke into a reggae number and we started bopping on on the park. We piled back into the cars and headed on down to Big Joe's place with the horns going and people waving out the windows. When we reached Big Joe's, you could smell the food cooking. Big Joe's cousin Ernie was handing out sodas and we started going into the restaurant. That's when we heard the sirens. Now, sirens on 145th Street are no big deal. They got dogs on the street that have heard the sirens so many times, they can imitate them perfectly. But when the police cars all pulled up in front of Big Joe's and the cops came out with their guns wrong, we knew something serious was going on. Freeze! A big, puppy-looking cop pointed a gun right at Leroy. Leroy froze, and so did I. In a minute, they had everybody lying on the ground. Where's the dope? A policeman kept yelling, Where is it? Where is it? What's going on? Big Joe yelled from where he was lying next to the fire hydrant. We got a call. Somebody was bringing a shipment of crack in a coffin, the policeman said. Where is it? Where is it? With the point toward the hearse and the cops surrounded it. About that time, I saw Chops get up and sneak away. I got my rights. Leroy was lying face down. Shut up, Leroy, one cop said. We all knew the cop, O'Brien, and he knew most of us, but we didn't like him and he didn't like us. If we find narcotics, you're all going to jail. They searched the coffin, the hearse, all of us, and two guys were just sitting on their stoop. But hey, they didn't find anything because naturally there wasn't anything to find. Then one of the officers received a message on the radio and got real excited. <laughs> Wrong coffin, he said. We just got a tip. Then the cops took off without even telling us to get up. Everybody was mad, but in a few minutes, the partying was on, and we forgot about the police. When Chop showed up, he called me over to one side. Me and Peaches, he said, You and Peaches what? I said. I figured Peaches made the first call, he said. I made the second call, telling the cops that drugs were in another coffin. Chops, you are something else, I said. He grinned. When all had a great time at Big Joe's party, everybody made stupid jokes about how good he looked for coming from his funeral and how he shouldn't eat too many ribs because it was bad for his cholesterol. It could kill you, really said. There was some talking about the cops making us lie down on the ground. Big Joe was mad about that, but the party lifted everybody out of their bad mood. I ate some more ribs, some fried chicken, and a mess of potato salad. Some folks got into an argument about whether the 4th of July was better holiday than Memorial Day. 
and they really enjoyed it too. It was the best holiday I had had since Christmas. And just about the best party. I went on home and told my mom about the funeral and the party. And she said it was okay if Big Joe wanted to waste his money. But if she had any extra money, she would have bought a new sofa. About 33, about 3.30 the next morning, I heard sirens again. And I looked out the window and saw that there were two police cars in the ambulance down in the street. I thought the police were looking for that crack they had heard about. But later in the day, I heard that Cassie, who lives on the third floor, had called them because her husband was beating on her. They took him away. Their two little girls were in the street crying. That's what 140th Street is like. 145th Street is like. Something funny happens like Big Joe's funeral. I mean, something bad happens. It's almost as if the block is reminding itself that life is hard and you have to take it seriously. Word on the street was that Cassie went to Big Joe and got the cash she needed to get her husband out of jail. Cassie probably wasn't going to pay him back the money, and Big Joe knew it, but he lent it to her anyway. And the next time I have a funeral, Big Joe said, I better hear you there crying and carrying on. Cassie smiled and went on up 145th Street toward the subway.